Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Good morning, Vietnam! You are great. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. Hello and welcome to the 30-something movie podcast. Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, This is episode number 170 of our podcast. Uh, Two movies, actually we're not doing two movies this episode. Uh, We are looking at Who Framed Roger Rabbit and kind of a general discussion of some of our favorite 1988 or late 80s cartoons in which we go down a rabbit hole of all kinds of late 80s cartoon and toy fun. Uh, Very, very quickly, we spoil the events of the movies we talk about, so if you haven't seen Roger Rabbit yet, you may want to watch the movie first and then come on back. If you don't care about being spoiled, uh, we'll give you some reasons you should go watch it or let you know whether you should save a couple hours of your life. And I will give you a quick little spoiler here. We all like it, so we're not going to tell you not to go watch this movie. But if you haven't seen it yet, you may want to go see it first because we will be talking about the movie. If you have also not yet left us a review on iTunes, uh, please go and do that. If you're enjoying the show, uh, it's totally okay if you give us five stars. We promise we won't let it inflate our egos. You can tell your friends, you can tell their friends, you can tell complete strangers that they should be listening to our show if they love 80s goodness, because that's what we're all about here. Um, If you have not joined us before, a very quick premise of our podcast is we are looking at movies that are hitting their 30th anniversary. We may not do it on the exact day or month, but we're looking at movies that are hitting 30 years old this year. So it being 2018, we are looking at movies coming out in 1988. In this episode, I'm going to be joined by my co-hosts Pat Cantagallo, Jeff Mazuka, and Bo Warmbold. Uh, we will be, as I said, we'll be talking uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So let me just jump on into some information about the Who Framed Roger Rabbit movie. We'll play the trailer for you, and then we'll get on into our discussion. So this one is called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It came out on the 22nd of June, 1988, rated PG, with a runtime of one hour and 44 minutes. Director was Robert Zemeckis, who directed such milestones of our childhood as Back to the Future, uh, Forrest Gump, and Castaway. Uh, producer for this one, producers were Frank Marshall, who did Raiders of the Lost Ark and Empire of the Sun, Robert Watts, who produced Star Wars episodes 4, 5, and 6, Alive, and The Last Crusade. Writers for this one, Gary K. Wolf wrote the novel. Uh, he also wrote a follow-up novel called Who Plugged Roger Rabbit. Uh, another writer for this one, screenplay writers, were Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman, who both did uh, Doc Hollywood and Wild Wild West. Music was done by Alan Silvestri, who's done Predator, Captain America, Back to the Future, and will be doing the music for Ready Player One, which if you are looking forward to some 80s goodness, that is definitely one that I'm looking forward to that's coming out here in just a few short weeks. Cinematography was done by Dean Kundi, who did Hook and Apollo 13. Budget for this one was $50.6 million. Box office was $329.8 million. 
starring Bob Hoskins, who unfortunately died in 2014. He played Eddie Valiant, who was also in Hook and Super Mario Brothers. Christopher Lloyd played Judge Doom. Back to the Future movies, Star Trek Three and Clue. Joanna Cassidy played Dolores. She was in Blade Runner and the Superman animated series. Charles Fleischer played Roger Rabbit, Benny, uh, the cab, um, Greasy, Psycho, a whole bunch of different voices in this one. He was also in Nightmare on Elm Street and Back to the Future Part Two. Stubby K, who died in 1997, played Marvin Acme. He was in Guys and Dolls and Little Abner. Alan Tilvern, who died in 2003, played R.K. Maroon. He was in Superman and Little Shop of Horrors. Richard Leparmentier, who died in 2013, played Lieutenant Santino. He was in Superman 2 and Star Wars. Lou Hirsch played Baby Herman. He was in Superman 3, Haunted Honeymoon. Betsy Brantley was Jessica's performance model. She was in The Princess Bride and Deep Impact. David L. Lander played Smartass. He was the head weasel. Uh, he was in Laverne and Shirley and Titan A.E. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film four stars out of four, predicting that it would carry the, quote, type of word of mouth that money can't buy. This movie is not only great entertainment, but also a breakthrough in craftsmanship. Ebert and his colleague Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune spent a considerable amount of time in the Siskel and Ebert episode in which they reviewed the film, analyzing the film's painstaking filmmaking. Siskel also praised the film and ranked it number two on his top ten films list of 1988, while Ebert ranked it as number eight on a similar list. Pulled all of that from uh, the entry on Wikipedia. Audience rating for this one, they gave it an A. Awards, it won Oscars for editing, sound effects, editing, visual effects. It was nominated for Best Cinematography and Best Set Direction and Best Sound. Cut, 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 cut! What the hell was wrong with that take? Nothing with you, baby Herman. You were great. You were perfect. You were better than perfect. This is Roger. He keeps blowing his lines. Roger. What's this? A tweeting bird. A tweeting bird. Roger, read the script. Look what it says. It says rabbit gets clunked. Rabbit sees stars. Not birds. Stars! Can we lose the playback, please? Roger, you're killing me. Killing me. For crying out loud, Roger. How the hell many times do we have to do this damn scene? Raul, I'll be in my trailer. Taking a nap. Excuse me, Please, Bones. Raul. I can give you stars. Just drop the refrigerator in my head one more time. Roger, I dropped it on your head 23 times already. I can take it. Don't worry about me. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the refrigerator. This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a down-and-out private detective. Stay out! Named Eddie Valiant. Ooga booga! Every moment they were together... There's a new adventure in trouble. Find me, Eddie! Please! It's a motion picture about friendship. Eddie, I'll make it easy! Please, Eddie! Don't tell me how you're making a big mistake! Love. <laughs> Compassion. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. All the time you yanked my ears? Murder. Marvin Acme. A rabbit cacked him last night. Remember, you never saw me. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. And violence. <laughs> Tunes gets him every time. You wouldn't have any idea where the rabbit might be? Got a thing for rabbits, huh? The whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. It's a comedy a little different <laughs> from all the rest. I'm a pig! I'm a tomb! I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But tell me, Eddie, 
Is that a rabbit in your pocket? Are you just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We too stay acting, attic, but we're not stupid. Who framed Roger Rabbit? So here's a couple of quick background things about the the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit before we jump into our discussion. Uh, the three ingredients of the dip that kills tunes is turpentine, acetone, and benzene. Uh, these are all paint thinners, which are used to remove animation from cells. With an estimated production budget of $70 million at the time of its release, this was the most expensive film produced in the 80s and had the longest on-screen credits for a film. Uh, Jessica Rabbit's speaking voice was performed by Kathleen Turner, though she is uncredited. Uh, something uh, interesting that I th- we talked about um, in the episode was Bill Murray was the first choice for Eddie Valiant, and Tim Curry was actually one of the frontrunners for Judge Doom. But apparently they decided that he, um, he, his audition was too terrifying. So I'm totally curious as to what Tim Curry did that made Judge Doom terrifi- so terrifying, because as a kid... I always thought Christopher Lloyd was terrifying. So, uh, For this movie, animation director Richard Williams set out to break three rules that previously were conventions for combining live action and animation. First, move the camera as much as possible so the tunes don't look pasted on flat backgrounds. Second, use lighting and shadows to an extreme that was never before attempted. And third, have the tunes interact with real-world objects that, and people as much as possible. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get going with our discussion. So as I said, we are talking Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and we have a general discussion about some of our favorite cartoons of the late 80s and kind of that whole Saturday morning cartoon era and how that was kind of coming to an end around about this time. So hope you enjoy the show. If you want to get in touch with us at all, our website is 30podcast.com, and that'll have links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the other places. Our voicemail number is up there. Um, So all the different places you can get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you and interact with you more. Um, but here's our discussion on Who Framed Roger Rabbit and cartoons of the late 80s. Welcome to the 30-something movie podcast. Uh, hey, guys. We've, we've been here for a while, but you just got here, so welcome. Uh, welcome to, uh, you've, you've stumbled in. The password, by the way, is Walt sent me, so just in case you didn't get that uh, before you got in here. But uh, this, see what you did there. Yeah, see? Um, so this is the 30-something movie podcast, and this time around we are talking, we are jumping on into 1988. That's kind of the premise of our show is we do things that are hitting their 30th anniversary this year, so hence the name, 30-something movie podcast. Um, so this time around we are in our animation month, and if you joined us last time, we talked some Japanese animation. We talked My Neighbor Totoro and Akira. And this week we're going to be talking Who Framed Roger Rabbit and some of our favorite cartoons of 1988. And then if you come on back here next time, we're going to be talking uh, The Land Before Time and uh, Oliver and Company. And I will say that we're not talking Land Before Time this time, but I will say my eyes might have leaked a few more times as an adult watching Land Before Time than they did as a kid. Really? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid, uh-huh. so I'm interested to go back and watch it. Yeah, leaky, uh, leaky yeah, eyes a long time little bit. Too, but I love that movie. Yeah, and and I will say, and again, this is not the show for uh, Land Before Time, but I'm sitting there and I'm watching the movie and I'm loving it just as I did when I was a kid, and I'm listening to the music, and, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh man, this music is just so great!" I, oh, the, the 
the visuals of this and the music. And, the, and then I'm not even really thinking about it, but it gets to the end. I'm watching the credits and up pops the music credit and it's James Horner. I'm like, okay, that I understand now. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Horner. Um, so this time around though, we are talking who framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, this is episode number, we've hit episode number 170. So we are marching our way towards 200. I have no clue what we're going to do. Uh, I feel like we got to do something special for our uh, bicentennial episode coming up. I think we're still recovering from our 150th, though. Yeah. That was a bit of a yeah. knockdown, drag out, forcing ourselves to try to come up with, well, not try to come up with, but try to narrow down our, our musical tastes. But um, So this time, the other voices you're hearing, if you're hearing voices, that's probably a good thing because you're listening to a podcast. Um, if you're not listening to a podcast and hearing voices, you may want to go talk to somebody but not the voices. Uh, if you're hearing our voices, I'm John Reed, and I've got with me Bo. Yo. I got me with me Jeff. Hi. And there's also Pat. Hey, hey. So the gang's all here. Uh, so as I said, this time around, we are talking uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's going to be our first one up. And um, this feels like a dumb question, but I, I can't imagine this is the first time anybody has seen this movie. No. Okay. No, I love this movie. Okay, excellent. All right. Did we all see this movie as children? Yes. Yes. Wow, I did. Okay. Pat, did you see this yeah. one as a kid? I did. You did. I okay. did. I um yeah, yeah. Okay. So what are your let's let's start with that then. We saw this one as a kid. I'm assuming we've seen it at least a few times since then too. Um what do you remember? Do you remember much about seeing this as a kid? I, we're kind of hitting the, now that we're in 1988, I kind of feel like we're hitting the time where, you know, some of this stuff is going to be a little bit more memorable to us. Our, our, our memories might be a little bit clearer about some of these movies that we, we actually got to see in the theaters uh, when we were kids. So what do you remember about seeing this as a kid? Bo, what was your, the first time you went to go see this? Did you, so you, you saw it in the theater when it came out? I don't know if we saw it in the theater. Okay. I don't have a memory of that anyway. I just have, remember seeing it and just thinking it was so much fun. And, and the thought of um, you know, the thought of a movie that had actors and cartoon characters and it was cool. And I think I was old enough to get that that was really cool and yet still young enough that I was like, dude, Toontown. That thing, <laughs> that could be awesome. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but yeah, I just remember loving it. And this is one of those movies that I could be clicking around on, you know, channel surfing back when people actually did that. And mm -hmm. if you stumble upon Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you're like, all right, there's nothing else on. I can, I can sit here for this one. It's just right. a fun movie, and there's just a lot of good lines in it, and yeah. Pat, what about you? Did you see this one in the theater? Yeah, uh, I think so. Or we rented it. I was I was young okay. when we got it, and it's funny because I think I think I saw it with my folks, and I think this was, you know, um, you you talked about Akira being the first time you saw a cartoon that like wasn't for kids. And I think this, well, there's no way I can say this without my folks sounding like naive, but I think this was one of the first movies, at least my memories, is when uh, this came out, I think my folks liked it, 
But, you know, we saw it as a family, and it was, there were some things in there that it was like, you know, mom's looking at dad, dad's looking at mom, and I could sense this, and it's just like, oh, wow, okay, so they're going to go there. Oh, I didn't expect cartoons to behave this way. So that was kind of, I mean, obviously nowhere near when we spoke about Akira in one of the previous episodes. The baby Herman stuff. Yeah, the baby Herman stuff. Well, and you just, and you uh, never you know, and like, you never thought of you never thought of patty cake the same way again. Yeah, and like that whole thing was going on. It was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. And even when I was rewatching it this time, I was because it, it's been a while, and I'm like, are they really? Yeah, that's right. They went there. Oh yeah, okay. And um, so I mean, you know, that was kind of my earliest memory of this movie was just that, uh, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's a little bit edgier, you know? So, yeah, but that was the first time I saw it was when I was, uh, when I was a kid. Okay. Jeff, did you see it in the theater or was it after that? So I talked about this movie a bit when we did the, um, did the solo episode. Yeah. I saw this movie in the theater twice uh, the second time while holding my stuffed Roger Rabbit plush <laughs> that I went out and bought with my own money that I'd saved up for something. I didn't know what the something was that I was saving the money for yeah. until the first time I saw this movie. And the, ended up, the something ended up being, I'm going to buy a, a stuffed Roger Rabbit doll. And I brought it with me to the second time I went to go see this movie in the theater. I adore this movie for so many reasons. And one of which I think is because this might have been the first time a movie really had me wondering how was this movie made? How did they mm. do that? Yeah. I don't ever remember having a thought about a movie before, or at least not to the extent that I did for this one where I was so fascinated by the idea of, of, of animated and human actors. How, how did they make that happen? What, what was the magic that they used? What tricks did they use? How did they hide all the, the, the strings or the puppeteering or the special effects? How did they make this film a reality? Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact that you're seeing characters on screen together that have never been on screen together before right. or yeah. since, and, as far as I know. May never be again. You know, you have Daffy Duck and Donald Duck yep. having dueling pianos. You have, you have Mickey and Bugs uh, skydiving. Yeah, that you was know, cool. Just, like, it, there were so many things about it that just blew my mind when I was a kid, and I could not get enough of this movie. And I still can't. I'll watch this movie a couple times a year. I adore this film. It was cool to read up a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for this movie and kind of what it, you know, what, what the intentions were behind a lot of, you know, why, and I remember thinking that as a kid too, cause I, I don't know if I'm just, if I'm just hardwired to enjoy that stuff. I love a good mashup. You know, if you can, like, that's why this Ready Player One movie coming out, this is like, this is my dream come true, to have mm-hmm. a movie that mixes all these different crazy things. I remember as a kid, you know, the, the comic book and the video game for RoboCop versus Terminator, that blew my mind. I'm like, wait a minute, those are two totally different movies. 
and you're going to put them together, that's outstanding. And so mm-hmm. that, I don't know if I'm just, if I'm hardwired to enjoy that and to enjoy the idea of let's take things that don't normally fit together and let's put them together. Um, and I, I remember feeling that way watching this movie and then reading up on it and finding out, you know, cause I've always loved those scenes where you have, uh, the, the two cart, the two most famous cartoon ducks are having this crazy dueling pianos scene with each other. Uh, and then just like you said, you do the other one where they're skydiving and it's Bugs and Mickey. And apparently that was part of the deal um, with Disney and with Warner Brothers that the only reason that they uh, agreed to allow, uh, maybe not the only reason, but a, a big reason they agreed to allow uh, the rights to be able to use these characters was they said, well, we need to make sure that you give each of us equal screen time. So okay. you're not going to give a Disney character any more screen time than you're going to give a Warner Brothers character or vice versa, which is why you tend to see those characters together in the scenes so that they could guarantee, yes, we're going to give you exactly the same amount of screen time uh, as your counterpart has gotten. So, okay. you know, just finding out about that. And I, I did, uh, I pulled something from IMDb that was the uh, animation director for this movie. And, and I loved reading this because it just, it makes me want to go back and watch the movie again. Um, you know, cause I, I watched it probably, it's, it's probably been a couple weeks now, but I, now after reading this, I want to go back and see it again and just really pay closer attention than I've ever paid to it. Um, the animation director for this one, his name is Richard Williams, and uh, it said in this in this paragraph, it said he set out to break the three rules that were previously conventions for combining live action and animation. First rule, he wanted to move the camera as much as possible so the tunes didn't look pasted on flat backgrounds. The second rule, he wanted to use lighting and shadows to an extreme that was never before attempted. And the third rule was to have the tunes interact with real real world objects and people as much as possible. Oh. And and I remember watching it this time and going, you know what? Yes, the way the camera moves in this movie, I feel like a lot of those other movies, like even the, you know, Mary Poppins, when you've got the penguins uh, in that scene dancing with Dick Van Dyke, you don't, you know, the, the camera doesn't necessarily change angles. It's pretty, st- I mean, I don't want right. to say it's, it's stationary is not the right word, but it doesn't like pan around. It, it doesn't move around the character in a, in a three-dimensional way. And this one does all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. all these moments of, you know, people just, and, and it's not even, it wouldn't even have been necessary, but just like when Roger Rabbit or somebody bumps into something and it just moves a little bit, but just yeah. little stuff like that. And, and apparently at Disney now they call, um, it's the one scene where, um, I think it's Roger Rabbit. It's when they first go into that back room, uh, behind the bar, that hidden room. And I think he bumps his head on the lamp. Uh, on the, mm-hmm. the hanging lamp from the ceiling. And I guess it's a phrase now at uh, Disney Disney Animation or, or Disney where they call it bumping the lamp. And for, really? Dis- for Disney animators, that means go above and beyond what you need to do to make this as realistic or amazing as possible. Bump the lamp is what they say. Huh. And I just I, every time um. I hear stuff like that, I'm like, that's really cool. Like the amount of work that went into making this movie as ridiculously lifelike as possible. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I never bought a, a Roger Rabbit, you know, I don't know that I can say I love it probably as much as you do. I never bought the Roger Rabbit toy, but I have, I have a respect for this movie as I get older. And as I look more into like what it takes to make a movie, every time I look back at this movie, I just keep thinking, good grief. How did they do that? Like, 
the amount of time that must have gone into this and just the, the painstaking attention to detail to, to just do little bits and pieces to make you believe you're really in this world where these two characters are on camera together. Yeah. It's cool. It's very cool. And the shadowing, the thing that you talk about with, with the shadows and all that, it really just when the characters go from like performing on stage or being filmed to the real world, um, they change. I think it, it's, it's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. I will say for this movie in particular, um, I have always liked, it doesn't really matter what he's in, um, I have always liked Bob Hoskins in nearly uh-huh. every movie I've ever seen him in, and this is probably one of my favorites. But the only other movie that, that ranks up there with Roger Rabbit for me, for him, is uh, Hook. Just because growing up, we loved the movie Hook and and watched that movie repeatedly. Um, but I just I think he's outstanding in this movie. And I just can't... I can't picture anybody else playing that part, but I read earlier today who the, who the first choice for Eddie Valiant was and who probably the first choice for judge doom were. And I was like, I just, I just don't, I don't see it. Um, the first choice for Eddie Valiant was Bill Murray. Huh? And I just don't know. Bob Hoskins has an attitude about him that I don't think Bill Murray would have had. Yeah. I think Bob, it's, a different, it's a different movie at that point. I'm not sure it would have been a bad movie. Right. It's definitely not the same. You, you don't get the gritty, angry Eddie Valiant that you get here. And I think that's what makes it, you know, that, that early anger he has is what makes him the whole thing fun. Well, and I think what this film didn't need was comedians in the lead roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There needed to be a sense of believability to this in order for the story to work and the story to make sense. If your main animated character is performing against someone like Bill Murray, there's no sense of reality in that whatsoever by having more dramatic actors in the in the human lead roles it lends itself to to some believability that this is actually happening Mm -hmm. i mean i i can't ever remember thinking this is just ridiculous this couldn't i can't believe this this is actually a movie this is just too silly to be a movie. That thought never crossed my mind. And I think a lot of it has to do with because of actors like Bob Hoskins who took it took the role seriously enough to make the character a believable character. Yeah. The other the one that um the one that I think would have been interesting um, is the front runner for Judge Doom. Um, before it was Christopher Lloyd, it was actually Tim Curry. 
And hmm. that one to me sounds interesting. But the what, what was funny was the reason they didn't go with Tim Curry was they said his performance was too terrifying. Jeez. <laughs> So and I and I remember as a kid being freaked out by Judge so they, Doom. They settled on Chris Lloyd. Right. Good God. Because <laughs> I mean, I to me that was kind of scary as a kid. Was the whole Judge Doom character and and Christopher Lloyd's performance was I mean to me as a kid, as an eight year old kid, seven year old kid watching this, I thought that was kind of scary. I can't even imagine if they thought Tim Curry was too terrifying. I can't even imagine what he must have done when he came into audition for it. That's one of those things that, like, like the uh, Fantasia, the original Light on Bald Mountain, the stuff they had to edit out because it was too scary. Mm-hmm. That's like that's the stuff you want to see. Like, I'd love to see the screen tests with him or yeah. the auditions or the whatever. I think that would be very cool. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, Chris Lloyd, that, that char- his characterization of Judge Doom is, I think, I, one of the most terrifying characters in a children's type movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to fathom, like, you know, did Tim Curry bring in some of Pennywise? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I would love to see what he did with the character. Yeah. Yeah, the, like like Pat said, I, I, that would be one of those. I'd, I'd love to see if they had tapes of the auditions to be able to see what it was that he did. So this is going to be a horrible question to ask, but I'm going to ask it. Do you have a favorite scene in this movie? Why do you do this crap? Because I hate all of you. Shaving a haircut in two minutes. I, I, that... That's mine. <laughs> yeah. That whole thing when the judge walks in and he reads the title of the of the album and he's like, hmm. Just that whole sequence is awesome. Merry go round broke down. Bit of a loony selection. <laughs> a bunch of drunken rip rip things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that whole sequence is awesome. And how everybody else is just, and, and, and again, it's like it, like Jeff said, everybody else is playing this totally straight. And everybody else is like, what is he, mm-hmm. is he insane? What is he, and then the camera just pans over to Roger and he can't take it. He mm-hmm. is just losing his stuff. And if everybody else doesn't play this scene seriously, like if the tension is not there, that this Judge Doom is actually a threat, if everybody else is not playing this seriously, then it's not as funny when you pan over to him and realize, wait a minute, what? why is Roger going nuts? What's he? What, why is this a problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the whole shave and a haircut thing. Yeah. You know, these no tune can resist the old shave and a haircut. Yeah. There's like, mm-hmm. what is he even talking about? And then, yeah, the camera pans, and all of a sudden, there's Roger just ready to flip out. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's definitely mine. I don't know if I can pick one scene. No? Going into Toontown was pretty cool. I mean, that was just... That first that was reveal fun. Yeah. was pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, you say the first reveal. Do you mean like towards the end when he goes through the tunnel? No, I mean the first time when he goes through. Well, maybe is that close to the end? I'm I'm mixing my metaphors now. That first time he drives through. <coughs> oh 
Toontown. So yeah, I get... No, because doesn't he go back? Doesn't he go through early? He um, walks... Sort of driving. He walks by it. Right. When uh, Yosemite Sam flies over the wall. Yeah, okay. so maybe... It is yeah. Early. They only go... I think they only go into Toontown the one time. Or uh, Eddie only goes in the one time. So yeah, it is that one. Yeah, that one's... You know, it's like I I think I said at the beginning, I was like, Toontown, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. You already mentioned it, but putting the, you know, Daffy Duck and Donald Duck on screen together and Mickey and Bugs, and that that was kind of cool stuff. I I think a memorable scene for me... I, I... I'm not going to pick a scene that I thought was great because the whole movie is great. Sure. But one of the memorable scenes is when you get the reveal that uh, Judge Doom is a cartoon. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not only is he a cartoon, but he's the cartoon that killed Eddie's brother. I can picture Christopher Lloyd's facial expression. At that moment, do you remember me, Eddie? Mm-hmm. When I killed your brother, I talked mm-hmm. just like this. Yeah. It was like, <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. And as a kid, that yeah. was terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah. I and like I, this. I like the gun, the six shooter, shooter yeah. <laughs> that he had with the bullets. Yeah. That was pretty funny. And uh, that the bullets go the wrong way. Dum-dums. Dum-dums. <laughs> Yeah. And I like that the whole premise, I like the whole premise that it was like a, what would you say, like film noir kind of, yeah. you know, set Absolutely. in the, was it the 1930s or was it supposed to be late 40s? It was supposed to be the 40s. I believe. Yeah. Okay. So like, you know, that late 40s kind of, you know, that's been done just in so many different um, books and novels and TV shows and, and all that kind of stuff. Um that that's kind of a fun time period, you know. The costuming is fun, um, you know. The the look of the city is fun. It it's uh, it, that was a, that was a cool setting. I'm, I'm coming. The they, I'm coming to realize that that's a setting for a lot of my favorite movies. Like that's the setting of this one. It's the setting of the Rocketeer. It's Rocketeer. Don't you read the papers? <laughs> I've been a little busy yeah. having that time. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, what else? Isn't L.A. Confidential set in that? Yeah. Yes. Oh, God. I I love that movie. Chinatown? Isn't Chinatown set in there? Um, I know that, uh, well, jumping into the Star Trek thing, but isn't, whenever they try and, whenever uh, Captain Picard goes to, into the holodeck to escape, you know, he goes into the Dixon Hill, mm-hmm. which I don't know if uh, are those even real books. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, but it's always set in that time period. You know, the fedoras, the trench coats. Yeah, it's it's just it's just a cool time period, and it really lends itself well to, with the whole cartoon thing. Yeah. Well, the the music especially. Oh well, yeah. You, you, yeah. you, you think of that the opening credits, and you've got that that really slow jazzy. You know, you just you're, you're you're picturing yourself in just some sort of, you know, nightclub, and there's a smoke-filled nightclub, and just you know, the, mm-hmm. there there's a uh, 
like just some small ensemble of instruments just on stage. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure it, you know, it, it's, it, you get, you've got like uh, a bass that's uh, plucking some notes and then you have a saxophone over it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Absolutely great. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of going a little bit more wide scope on your question, but I mean, I guess my whole, you know, a, a good scene, if I was going to say, it was just the setting of the movie. Mm-hmm. Cool. Fun visuals, fun to look at. Yeah. And it's it's just not one, and I don't think I've heard of anybody wanting to try this. It's just not one that I I just don't think you can remake it. I don't think anybody nope. should try to. I just don't think, I mean, part of the novelty of the movie is that it was a, a pre-CGI movie. And I feel like the, you know, some of the novelty of the movie is getting all these characters together that shouldn't be together. Um, and I feel like you get some of that with, I don't know if you guys have seen Wreck-It Ralph. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get some of that with Wreck-It Ralph where I get to see all these different you know, video game characters come together in, in one movie. As I mentioned before, we're going to get that with something like Ready Player One. Um, I remember as a kid, I think we were talking about this, uh, Jeff, it might have been um, while you had stepped out for a second before we started recording. Um, I remember as a kid, there were there was this movie and there was Beetlejuice. was always a, a discussion among my other friends who just loved movies about, you know, rumors that there was a sequel coming out. And we talked about it all the time. We're like, yeah, Roger Rabbit 2. It's supposed to have this, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do this. And Beetlejuice 2. They're going to do this, and they're going to do this. And I don't know why. We just we talked about it all the time. I don't know that there ever actually was any kind of talk of there being any type of a Roger Rabbit sequel. Um, I don't think I've heard anything anywhere about it. I don't, I don't know what it, it would be. I don't yeah. know what you would do. And I know there was I a mean, book. Have you read any of the, the, Have you read the book at all? I want to say I did, but I have no recollection of actually doing that. So okay. maybe not. Okay, because there was a sequel to the book. I guess I, I, I looked that up. Um, I guess the original book was called Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Um, and the idea being that it was more um, newspaper comic strip cartoons as opposed to movie cartoons. And there were a couple of different things. A couple of things were different about the, the movie versus the book. And I guess there was a sequel to the original book too, but the sequel was, it was kind of like a weird, it was partly a sequel to the book, but then also partly a sequel to the movie. Um, hmm. So there are a couple of books out there. So if anybody's interested in looking those up, um, let's see, the first one was called Who Censored Roger Rabbit? And the second one was called uh, Who Plugged Roger Rabbit? Hmm. So those are the two books that are out there. Uh, Gary K. Wolf is the writer. If anybody wants to check those out, and um, I think that's all—all <coughs> all he wrote in terms of books, though, uh, related to these. So, I don't think there would ever be a need to remake this movie mm-hmm. because, you know, the idea of doing a remake is to modernize it, right? Somehow. Part of the genius of this movie is that it wasn't set in the eighties. Right. It was set at it. It was already set in the past. So the the you know the the threat of this Cloverfield industry 
I don't know what the threat would be. I mean, yeah, it, it would probably have to be some sort of tech company taking over another tech company or something. Um, you could find out that it's related to the Cloverfield movies. That'd be weird. And that it's a the Cloverfield creature is kind of... I, I don't yeah, know. I, not, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to mash up totally inappropriate things. Just add more lens flare. There you go. <laughs> Who lens flared um, Roger Rabbit? But I think that you know that what what's there what what's there to modernize right about it? It was done in a way where we know everything historically about the 1940s. So there's mm-hmm. nothing that needs to be changed about that. There's nothing that could be retold in a better way because it's not like you know a movie that's set in the 80s. You know, you don't know how the 80s are going to end as you're making that movie. You know historically what happens from 19, late 1940s into the 1950s and the 1960s. You have enough history on your side to establish it for what it is. So I think there'd be zero reason to ever attempt remaking it. Mm-hmm. Is there a quality story in there that you can try to do a sequel? I don't know. I don't know that you'd want to try to force a sequel out of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I um the the fifth um Pirates of the Caribbean movie, or maybe it's the sixth, or maybe it's the five thousandth. I don't know. Pirates of the Caribbean movie came up on Netflix and I turned it on and I find myself just watching it and I'm just like, yeah, this is fun. This is okay. There's Jack Sparrow doing his thing. There's sword fights. Okay. There's ships. They're okay. All right. All right. All right. And it's like, okay, it's just kind of, it's episodic. You know, you you just, okay, this is like another episode of the same thing. And you, you kind of, I get this feeling that, you know, I think the franchise has kind of run its course, you know, and I remember, um, I wanted to say Tony Stark, but, um, Robert Downey Jr. was talking about Iron Man, and after Iron Man 3, he says, yep, I'm done playing Iron Man. I was like, wait, what? He's done playing Iron Man? And it was, no, he's done playing Iron Man in Iron Man movies. He'll be in the Avengers, he'll be in Captain America, he'll be in something else, but his take was, this character has really developed as far as it can develop. <clears throat> you know, there's really not much more we're going to do to, to keep the, the character going and, and all that. And I think that sometimes when I, when I saw this Pirates of the Caribbean movie, you know, that's, I've seen that since we've last had our should we have a sequel discussion. And I kind of bring that to it and just say, you know, I, it was a fun movie. It was a good movie. I couldn't make one that's any better. I mean, I, I was entertained by it, so I'm not going to knock it. But it's kind of like, you know, the whole sequel thing, I, I don't know. You know, like Jeff said, is there a story to be told? Now, I haven't seen it yet, but Blade Runner 2049, okay, cool. Maybe there's a story that's to be told in there. Um, Star Wars, well, yeah. I mean, you've got this universe, that, the, the galaxy, that it's just so rich with so many different directions. You, you, we want to see, hey, what happens to these characters? What happens to these characters? But I think with a lot of movies, 
you know, you got to be real care, careful with that because, you know, there's only so much the characters can develop before you're just kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And a 13-year-old or a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old or a, however we each were when we saw this movie isn't necessarily going to see it. It's just going to be more better. Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3, well, they're all awesome movies, but I, I wasn't able to... It, when I was that age, I wasn't like, oh, well, Back to the Future is clearly the best. It's the original and blah, blah. It was just like more Back to the Future, more better. Right. I just want to see more adventure with the time machine. You know, I just want to see more. And I, I think that's what, I think as when you're younger, you just want to see more. You know, that quantity over quality kind of thing. Then as you get older, it's like, yeah, kind of been there and done that. And maybe you just want to watch the original and really just enjoy every little facet of the original. And I, I think that's, you know, when, if there's talk of a sequel, be influenced by it, be inspired by what Who, Who Framed Roger Rabbit did, and then come up with your own thought on that. Like, John, you said uh, uh, the, the one with the video games. And, uh, you know, don't just remake Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Take what that, that influenced you and do your own thing. Well, and I, f- I feel like, too, that this, it needs, to, I mean, and, and not that there's any necessarily any talk of there being a sequel, but I f- kind of feel like it just wouldn't work today. It, it, I mean, I think we are, we're to a point where we've mixed CGI in with our movies so much that we are uh-huh. used to seeing, we're used to seeing fantastical creatures right alongside um, our human actors. We were just finishing up, uh, I had gotten... Um, Somebody had got me the box set of all three of the uh, Planet of the Apes movies, the new ones, mm-hmm. uh, for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And we had just finished up watching War for the Planet of the Apes the other night. And every time I watch those movies, I just I marvel at how I, I, get, I get sucked into that movie and I completely forget that that's not a real ape. That, that that's Andy Serkis and that's a CGI. There's no one actually there. Um, and the performance and how realistic it looks. And I think it just, as accustomed as we are today to characters like, you know, the, the characters in the Star Wars movies or, or, you know, Gollum in Lord of the Rings, or we're just used to seeing now, we, we kind of expect when we go to some movies that deal with fantastical characters that we're going to see these animated or, or computer animated characters alongside our human characters and I just don't know if if you tried to ra- make Roger Rabbit today, um, you know, if you tried to make a movie even like it, not even forget forget the the whole character of Roger Rabbit, I just don't think it would have. I don't think it'd have the same success, and I don't think we'd be talking about it as much because it just it it doesn't seem like it's. Oh, I, I don't I don't want to belittle the computer animators by saying this, but it just doesn't seem like it would take as much backbreaking work as it seems like this movie took to put together. I think mm-hmm. of I think of like Space Jam as being one of the probably one of the last movies before, you know, uh CGI stuff really took over. Um and that's probably one of my other favorites uh, of this kind of genre where you you're mixing the the live action with the cartoon and I just don't know, I don't know that you can make. I mean, I know they've talked about making a sequel to Space Jam and I just don't know that that I don't know that it has the same impact as something like a Roger Rabbit had with how amazing it was when it came out at the time that it came out. Right. Right. And, you know, and I mean, 
you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I'd love to say that every movie starts and ends with someone that has a vision and wants to tell a story and all that. But you make Space Jam 2. If it costs $20 million to make and they make $30 million, well, they made money on it, so that's why those movies get made. I mean, I don't want to be just the cynic and, and all that, but it's... Yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. You're not I, wrong. I think just... and, and I think Space Jam's an interesting one to talk about because your favorite animated cartoon characters playing basketball with NBA stars, I think you're always going to get a buy-in for a movie like that. It's just going to be updating it to today's stars. I think the yeah. animation houses in the NBA both have marketing budgets, and I think a movie like that, if it were to get made, I think probably does much better than any of us think it might. Not because it's needed, not because there was a reason to update Space Jam, but because its subject matter is so simple and easy. You know? So how about this for a sequel idea? We know that the characters are aware that they are drawn characters. Um, Jessica Rabbit has that line with uh with eddie valley where she says i'm not bad i'm just drawn that way so the care the characters are aware that they're drawn therefore they also start realizing then that they can't or don't age yet their human friends do and it becomes a story of a goodbye to somebody like, you know, last time when we were talking about um, Totoro, we were talking about how the quote-unquote villain of the story is adult, is just being an adult, and, and some of the things that happen with adults, and the mom was sick, and the kids were trying to deal with the fact that their mom was sick and, and at a hospital and not coming home. What if Roger Rabbit has to deal with the fact that his human friends are starting to get old and pass away and he's always going to go on? And how does he then learn how to go on and honor the memory of his friends? Mm hmm. I was going to make a Bicentennial Man comment here, but I won't because I know you don't like that movie. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Make your comment. I, no, I, I won't. I mean, I just did, but in kind of a backhanded way. Um, no, I, and I was trying to think too. Like, what if you were if you were going to make a sequel to this? What would you do? And I think that would be a great way to take it. The other one I had been thinking of was, um, you know, it, almost the same kind of idea. The cartoons don't age, but the tastes of the audience do. And so, you know, much like my own kids that, I mean, still growing up, my, my parents would have watched, you know, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse and all that stuff. And, and growing up, I watched a lot of Bugs Bunny and, and that was, you know, that was probably one of my favorite cartoons was all of the Looney Tunes characters. My kids don't know the Looney Tunes characters as much. Like they, they know, you know, they know a lot of Disney stuff. They know Donald Duck and Mickey and all that, but they don't really have as, as, extensive a knowledge or experience with Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck. Because, I mean, that was when that scene came up with the dueling pianos. They knew who Donald was, but they didn't really have as much a sense as who Daffy Duck was. 
and they mm-hmm. didn't know who Yosemite Sam was. So, I mean, I think that so could be an interesting way to take it, too, is, is how do the cartoons deal with the idea that maybe the audience, you know, what does a cartoon do when it's not popular anymore? You, you're not going to go away, but how, how do you live out, do you live out cartoon retirement, or what do you do with that? You live in the, the, live in the slums of Toontown? Yeah, maybe. You, yeah. I mean, you could go real depressing, and you could just dip yourself. Oh, God. <laughs> you know... And that's and and I got that's that's a real that's a real t- tough thing because that was and that was something that it kind of brooks the the discussion that we had with Star Wars where you know we got into the whole diehard fan and 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 you know the people that hated this movie just because they were all offended their Star Wars sensibilities and all this and I kind of got into this thing like well what do we want from a Star Wars movie. If you go back and watch the original ones, they were fun movies. They were f- for the whole family. They, yeah, they had some heavy topics, and yeah, there were some intense scenes with fathers and you know kids and all this. But it was like they were fun. And sometimes I think that you know, continuing my Star Wars thing, sometimes I think that the problem is that if if the Star Wars fans were in charge of making the movie they would want the movie and its sensibilities to age with them. Mm-hmm. I saw the movies when I was two or three or one or eight or whatever. Well, now I'm 38 or 48 or what. And so now I want that to have more of an adult flair to it because I'm more of an adult. And it's like, yeah, but then you're going to kind of lose what Star Wars is because Star Wars, you know, you still need to have that, you know, it's supposed to be a kid's fun, you know, m- movie, right? If you, I remember you talking about John Ezra uh, going to see it, and he was jumping up and down and jumping on the couch with, the, you know, saying he wanted to swing a lightsaber and the whole thing, and that that makes you feel like that again. Mm-hmm. Okay, I feel like I'm ten and want to go swing a lightsaber. Well, that and was so that was probably that was probably me too. I was probably jumping up and okay. down and swinging you the were lightsaber. T- yeah, but I think that's that's the thing you got to be very careful of when. You know, talking about sequels because you know you could take Roger Rabbit and say, oh, "Well, you know, let's let's put him in this more serious thing." And, but is that going to suddenly be? Well, this isn't what I remember from Roger Rabbit, and I mean, is that going to be something that kids could enjoy? And I think it's 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 that's a real fine line to to tread. You know, like okay, we want to make it more serious, but how do we still make kids enjoy it? I, at the risk of being long-winded, I'd say that the Toy Story. Uh, franchise has done an excellent job with that, coming up with sequels that do keep the characters fresh and do hit on some themes that are a little bit heavier and more intense, um, but maintain that fun aspect. Yeah. But that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else that we want to say before we? I want to have a, a, a quick discussion about some of our, um, you know, our other maybe favorite cartoons of 1988 or this time period. Is there anything else we want to say about Roger Rabbit before we, before we leave them in Toontown? Other than it's a great movie and everyone should go see it. Haven't seen it. See it. Yeah. I mean, this this movie, I think, definitely holds up. And. I'll I'll keep watching it a couple times a year because I just I I don't get I I I don't get tired of this movie. Yeah. 
it, mm-hmm. tough to look ahead, but Jeff, I'll, I'm going to I'm going to ask you at the end of this year. I got to remember my remind myself to ask you this: uh, Is this your favorite movie of this year? If we look ahead at all the movies we're doing, because I know you really I, like this one, so I. Well, there are some good ones later, though. This is a good year. Yeah, I'd have I'd have to find the list and yeah. see. Um, isn't Field of Dreams this year? Yeah, yeah, I love that movie yeah, too. Okay. There's some. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, like I said early on, I think a lot of my adoration for this movie just stems from the fact that this was like the, the first movie that I ever recall just getting fired up over yeah, and getting so enthralled by what I saw to the point where I had to find a way to learn more about how they did what they did. I it it just it completely blew my mind when I saw it in the theater and I just I don't ever remember having a reaction to a movie like that prior to seeing this one. Yeah. All right. Well, if you haven't, if you haven't seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, actually, as of right now, uh, obviously, we're recording this in January 2018. You may be listening to this at a totally different time. But as of right now, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is still streaming on Netflix. I don't recall if it's on any of the other services, but um, this would be one. I, you know, I don't have a copy on DVD, but this would be one that I probably would eventually go out and get a copy on DVD just in case it ever leaves Netflix. but at least for right now, January 2018, it's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, you want to go check it out, it's on there. It's available. So interesting thing, we kind of we kind of started to shift our, our conversation about... Sorry. Um, no, that's all right. We started to shift our conversation about kind of things shifting and changing. And, and one of the interesting things about as we're getting to the end of the 80s, um, you know, we've gone through, we've gone through the, the latter half of this decade uh, from when we started the show. We were working on, on 1984, 1985. And now that we've hit 88, it's kind of an interesting time for cartoons because this is really where a lot of people start to see that this is the end of the Saturday morning cartoon. That, you know, growing up, you had your Spider-Man and his amazing friends. You had um, G.I. Joe. You had Transformers. You had Thundercats. You had all these different He-Man and She-Ra and and all this stuff. Um, And that as you hit 1988, you really start to see a shift to the Saturday morning cartoons maybe not being quite what they had been. Uh, in the early 80s, to the point where some stations, as I was doing a little bit of research for this, um, I think it was NBC, at one point, uh, just toyed with the idea of not doing cartoons on Saturday mornings at all and switching to uh, morning news shows um, on Saturday mornings. And I think uh, my wife and I were talking about this uh, just before started recording tonight, and uh, and she made the comment too. She said, yeah, you know, really, unless you're unless you're going to like the PBS Kids channel, there's not really Saturday morning cartoons anymore. That's a shame. As of today, 2018, there's there's not really. So my kids, my kids, the only way that they know of as Saturday morning cartoons is Saturday morning. We might get up and put on Netflix and figure out what it is that they want to watch this time. But there's not really. You can't really just turn on a TV channel and have there be a lineup of, you know, great Saturday morning cartoons that the kids are going to love. And uh, some of what I read that kind of kind of brought that about was 
that I guess for, for years during the 80s, parents had been wanting to get some of the more violent uh, or what they felt was violent Saturday morning cartoons out of that lineup. So things like Transformers, G.I. Joe, uh, Ninja Turtles, you know, that kind of stuff, Thundercats. And they really started to move those to the afternoons, which I totally remember because I remember at some point, instead of seeing them on Saturday morning, I came home after school and was able yep. to watch Ninja Turtles and, and watch, you know, some of my other favorite shows. So I didn't know it as a kid, but that shift was kind of happening at that time. And when they did that, it really left the Saturday morning time to just the, the little kid stuff that, you know, I would have been and we would have been too old to really be interested in. So are there any, I, I sent you guys out a couple of links with, with some lists to some stuff that would have been on still at about this time, either starting in 88 or, you know, still airing at this time. What were some of your favorite cartoons at this point when we're looking at the kind of the, the late eighties? Uh, what were some of your favorite cartoons that were still on at this time? The original DuckTales. Oh yeah. Yeah. My kids have been, has anybody watched the new one? Yeah. My kids have been watching the new one, and I've been watching a few of them with them, and, and they're really fun. Cool. But yeah, the original one. DuckTales and um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Tailspin? Rescue Rangers. Rescue Rangers, yeah. Rescue Rangers was good. Tailspin was good. I was a Tailspin. big fan of uh, Dino Riders. Yeah, that was a good one. The real Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Yes, real Ghostbusters was excellent. So I I don't know if you guys uh, got a chance to look at this link that John sent out, but I'm looking at the John. This is the the link from TV Party. Yeah, and it's the Saturday. It's like it's the Saturday morning lineup. Yeah, from 8 a.m. Yeah. to what was it noon? I think 8 a.m. to noon. Yeah, on the the three major channels, CBS, ABC, and NBC. And my God, I'm looking at my childhood, my, sa my, my Saturday <laughs> yeah. morning childhood right now on, on my iPad as I just scroll through this schedule and just remember, oh, yeah, I watched, you know, I, I watched, uh, watched I, I vaguely remember Kissy Fur. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely watched Gummy Bears. Yeah. I had gummy bears on DVD for a while. I don't know if I still have it. No, really. Uh, oh, gummy bears. Yeah. S Smurfs I watched. Muppet Babies I watched. I vaguely remember. Oh, yeah, rem Muppet Babies. That was the stuff, man. I, remember, I vaguely remember watching the Elf cartoon. Yeah. Um, Alvin and the Chipmunks I definitely watched. Garfield and Friends I watched. Like, it's just... All these shows that are that are on this schedule, and I even got to the point where I started scrolling down further. I'm like, so this is probably about the time where my mom came in and said, "It's time to turn off the TV." <laughs> yeah. some no these, more TV, you'll rot your brain. Mm -hmm. Well, because like some of these uh, shows that are on at like eleven or eleven thirty, like so it said, Elvin and the Chipmunks is on at eleven o'clock. I remember watching that one. But I don't really remember watching anything else that came after that. So that must have been where my mom was like, okay, you've been watching cartoons since 7 o'clock. It's mm -hmm. time to yeah. turn this stuff off for the day. But there are so many great things. Yeah, I was looking great at that list. And here. I was looking at that list. And I was like, the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. Um, 
you know, that one, I remember watching that one all the time. Uh, Mighty Mouse, that was always one of my favorites. You know, watching the old Mighty Mouse ones, but then the, the newer ones as well. And, um, you know, even the, uh, we had just talked uh, at the end of last year about the, <clears throat> the Ernest Goes to Camp movie. And I remember watching the Hey Vern, It's Ernest TV show. And uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks. And I, yeah, when I found this site, I was like, this this is the schedule of my Saturday morning childhood. Yeah, like the the, the nostalgia that's washing over me right now is no. almost overwhelming. Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, we we uh, I think Pee Wee's Playhouse was on, might still be on Netflix, and we watched a few episodes, but then it got to the point where when the kids started acting like Pee Wee Herman, I was like, okay, we we were gonna, we were gonna take a little break from that. Um, yeah, we, I know uh, how our parents felt. Yeah, we don't uh, we don't need to watch too much of that. There's a reason why these only came on once a week. I'm not sure Pee Wee was meant to be binged. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So a I'm little bit throw- of Pee Wee goes a long way. Uh-huh. Did uh, did someone mention Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yes, it's it's not on the list of Saturday morning uh, cartoons, but it was it came oh. out in '87. It was uh, one of the afternoon ones. Okay, because I'm, I'm I started looking and I the, the, I'm I get blurry on which ones were Saturday morning and which mm-hmm. ones were not. Are we strictly Saturday morning ones or no? No, may we any any cartoons? Because I know that was one of my favorites. And I, and I just want to throw down that the real Ghostbusters that they had to name it because there was the Ghostbusters cartoon as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember the Ghostbusters cartoon. Yep. The, the real Ghostbusters episode, and it's some, somewhere in the middle of like the second or third season where they do the flashback about the day after they fought Gozer, and they had the suits that the ectoplasm brought the suits to life, so they had to fight their spectral counterparts. I don't know if you remember I, that I one. I vaguely that remember one was, that one, yeah. Okay. So that, that one was good. Um, does anybody remember the show Cops? Yes. Heck yeah, I do. Not, mm-hmm. not Bad Boys, Bad Boys, but the cartoon right. Cops, C-O-P-S. With, yeah, uh, it, was, it was an acronym for something. Yeah. Yeah. And wasn't and it, it was, uh, uh, their, long, long Arm? Wasn't that one of the, the main guys? Yep. Yeah. And, and uh, BP Vess was their chief, and he, yes. had, he was the cyborg, you know, because he had the, like, the metal thing. So that one was another good one. Turtles. Real Ghostbusters. And then, John, I, unless I blanked and I missed this, I, I, I think I got the drop on you. How about... That was 88, right? You Say it again. You cut out for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the cartoon Brave Star. Oh, I love that one. That was 88 as well. Yeah, it I mean, was... It was, um, then. It was, it was um, late 80s. I want to say it started in 87... And okay. I, it only went maybe a year or two. It didn't last long, but yeah, that was probably one of my favorites. I, I always had, whenever the, whenever the toy catalogs came out for, for birthday and Christmas time, um, you know, that was always, I remember always wanting, I think they had some cops toys, like action figures and Brave Star action figures. And I always remember asking for those for, for birthday and Christmas. Mm-hmm. I just pulled up cops on IMDb. Man, this yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Yeah, that one was... Didn't we already go down this rabbit hole once? We did. We started to talk about the these. It, we were kind of talking about toys. Um, but I think we also talked a little bit about some of the cartoon stuff, too. Yeah, it was the, it was the cops and the crooks. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what Crooks stood for. Uh, Cops was, oh, what was it? It was the, um, it was Central, oh, here it is. Central Organization of Police Specialists. And they were supposed to combat the crooks. And I don't, I don't remember what crooks stands for, but everything was an acronym. So see, we were just getting ready for uh, a career in education mm-hmm. where everything's an acronym. Yes. Oh, but, but yeah. Those were, all, those were all really good. Uh, those were all really good cartoons. And I'm looking at a, a lot of my other favorites ended before 1988. Yeah. The other one I think my kids would really like, and we've seen a couple of episodes of, I think I pulled them up on YouTube or, or we might have had them on, on Netflix or somewhere, is uh, the Garfield and Friends. Oh, yeah. Used to watch that one all the time. And, and both my kids, they'll, they'll check out the Garfield comics from the, uh, from the library. And uh, I think that one, if, if we were going to start one, that one and, and Muppet Babies, I think would be, I think those would be pretty big hits. So I'm reading up on cops. I'm, I'm, I'm still behind you guys. Um, <laughs> but so apparently from, from what I'm reading, the, D, the TV series came out based on the toys that had already been produced. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So much like um, He-Man. Yeah. And if you haven't yet had a chance to watch um, that docuseries on Netflix about the old toys. They do a whole episode about the He-Man figures and mm. the rise and sudden fall of He-Man, not only the toys, but the series as well and how the toys, the, the lack of availability of the original figures essentially is what killed the TV show. Hmm. Because it started, I think they said, with like it, it went with only eight action figures available, and they did very well, and they kept making more figures and more figures, and mm-hmm. adding new characters, and this character did this, and this one did that, and the, the, you know, all of a sudden, they weren't making the original He-Man figure and and Skeletor figure and Man at Arms, so. Since kids couldn't get those figures, if I'm remembering the series correctly, since kids could no longer buy those figures, what would be the point of having He-Man figures if you couldn't get He-Man? Right. Mm-hmm. So the 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 interest was what was depleting, along with the introduction of She-Ra. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it, it again. It's it's all fascinating, and and how the the psychological aspect of He-Man. You know, what's his line? I have the power. What is what? What, what does any kid want? The kid wants the power. Well, now with mm-hmm. He-Man, he's got the power. He's in charge. And all of a sudden, here comes She-Ra, and She-Ra appeals to the 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 female. Ideologies, and they say in this series, what boy wants to be interested in something if all of a sudden his sister is going to be interested too? That's not going to be fun anymore. Right. So it was a combination of that and lack of original figures that kind of killed off 
He-Man as a as a product. Yeah. But I, you should definitely watch watch the series. I mean, it's just it's fascinating. I know. I've that's it's still on my list of to go check out. I've I'm, you're you're not the only person to have recommended it. I've got a whole bunch of people that I know online that they just keep posting stuff up about how you know it's every time they watch it, it's just their entire childhood just comes flooding back. Mm-hmm. So. Do you have, from some of the ones that we've looked at here, or, or some of the ones that are kind of on this list, um, you know, I, I don't want to ask necessarily for your, your absolute one favorite, um, but is there one that stands out to you that when you think of, like, the, the late But you're going to ask for a one favorite. I'm, I'm going to ask for a favorite. I'm not going to ask Duck for tails. the one favorite. Okay, so DuckTales. That's Woo-hoo. yours? Yeah. It's, <laughs> and it's, you know... So good and so much so that when I heard they were remaking it, I was like, all right, I'm in. Let's do this. Yeah. I think if I'm I, – I think that if I'm looking back on it, I'd have to say maybe Brave Star. I, that one to me was just so cool because being from Texas, it was a little more meaningful that they were on New Texas. And uh, that one I always thought was so cool, but I was I was a huge diehard Ninja Turtles fan back in the day, and I had you, you want to talk about toys, you know that was the first time I ever had maybe like a collector mentality where you know we would compare original Ninja Turtle action figures and did they have the hard plastic head or the squishy plastic head, you know because if you had the squishy plastic head you had one of the original ones. Um, or, you know, if you, you know, it, then it got to the point where it was hard to even find the original Ninja Turtle action figures. You could only find Leonardo in his uh, military camouflage outfit or Donatello in his spy outfit. And then it was impossible to find just the original ones. So I think, I mean, Ninja Turtles, I collected all of the trading cards. I watched every episode of the show. I had as many of the toys as I could find. I remember going to see the movie the day it came out in 90. Um, you know, so I, if, I, if I had to pick one that makes me, when I think of like late 80s cartoons, I think I got to go Ninja Turtles. But Brave Star is definitely up there. I'm going to give uh, Jeff, I'll jump in so Jeff can have even more time to stew over trying to find one. But um, <laughs> Thanks, man. You're welcome. I got gotcha. you. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I would have to go Turtles as well or real Ghostbusters. I really I remember mm-hmm. being just addicted to that show. Yeah. It's on Netflix right now. Yeah. I am aware of that. <laughs> I believe me, I am aware of that. You uh <coughs> got a bit of a scratchy throat, might not be able to make it into work tomorrow. Yeah, I <coughs> yep, mm-hmm. can't make it. Yeah, yeah. Can't make it in. I'm not uh, I'm not feeling very good. <coughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so Jeff, let, let, then let's do it this way. Do you have a worst cartoon ever made? No, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my favorite. <laughs> okay. Give us your favorite. Um, I'd be curious to know what the worst cartoon ever made was, but <laughs> we can do that one later. So John, like you, I collected a lot of toys for a lot of different series, a lot of different cartoons. And you, you say collected as if it was past tense. I haven't bought... <laughs> an action figure toy for myself in a number of years. But 
I do have a lot of my toys from when I was a kid. Okay. In boxes in my parents' basement. So that'll be fun to go through mm-hmm. uh, sometime soon. My parents want want uh, my brother and I to, my older brother and I to go through it, take what's ours so they can get rid of anything that we don't want. Yeah. And of course, duh, we want it all. Yeah. But not getting rid of anything. Um, but I, so I remember being hugely into turtle, into Ninja Turtles as well. But I think if there was one cartoon that was the cartoon that I loved, it was Thundercats. Oh, yeah. Um, I have the entire series on DVD uh, downstairs on my, in my movie library. And every now and again, I'll just start with season one, episode one, and do a little binge. Yeah. Definitely good stuff. I just don't think, I don't think you can really go wrong with most of the cartoons that are on any of these lists. I agree. I don't, I mean, and there's so many that aren't even on these lists. Right. Um, you know, mask. 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 I was I was just gonna say mask. Oh that yeah, that was another yeah. another great cartoon series and toys. I mean, I got yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch of those in my parents' basement somewhere because mm-hmm. uh, I know we had them. Um, still, Silverhawks was yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time. So yeah. I, I so much great stuff. I was probably one of the few that actually enjoyed watching and collecting GoBots. Oh, GoBots. <laughs> yeah. I think we, uh, yeah, I think when we, it was maybe like last year or a couple of years ago when we started down this path of talking about favorite toys and things like that, um, I think I mentioned the Rock Lords. Do you guys remember those at all? Oh, yes. Yeah. I was at C2E2, was it two years ago? And I went into one of those toy booths. I mean, they, they've got a million of them there. But I went into one of them, and the guy had a whole bunch of Rock Lords toys. And I was like, oh, I really don't need these, but I kind of do. <laughs> and then I saw the price tag, and I said, really, I'm not, I don't need these. Not that badly. I will just, I'll hold the memory in my head, and that'll be it, because I'm not paying that much for it. But I, I remember... And, and at one point in time, I, you know, as I was growing up, I kind of remembered back to that. And I'm like, that's a really dumb toy. Like it transforms into a rock. I, I kind of feel like we're going to be watching big in a few weeks. And I'm like, you've got the transformer that transforms into a skyscraper. I was like, that's not fun. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh-huh. Nobody comes in here. Who is this guy? Nobody I'm like, comes in here and just says bugs. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, as an adult, I'm like, it transforms into a rock. That that doesn't seem fun. But at the time, as a kid, it was like that was one of my favorite toys I had was the Rock Lords toys. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I'm looking at a whole list of cartoons from the '80s. Yeah. Because now I just want to see what else I've forgotten. Yeah, now we're stuck. The, du- <laughs> the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Did you ever watch oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are we stretching out of 1988 at this point? Probably, think, yeah. Probably. <sighs> I mean, the I've... Get Along Gang. I used to watch the Get Along Gang. I don't know if I remember that one. 
G.I. Joe. Transformers. He-Man, Heathcliff, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Oh, the yeah. Anim- <laughs> the animated yes. show about wrestlers. Mm-hmm. That was outstanding. Oh, I remember the Get Along Gang. I'm going to also say I was a real fan of Voltron. Yeah. And I was a huge fan. I mentioned it earlier in one of our earlier episodes a couple months ago or weeks ago. Uh, Transor Z. Yeah. Love that cartoon. Yeah. I, when we get to, because what was that? It was probably 92. Um, when we get to the, the <coughs> year that the Batman animated series came out, I, I kind of just want to do an entire episode on the Batman animated series. Right. When we get to that point, because that, if I think of, if I had to think of, and I'm not going to do this right now, because that's a whole other rabbit hole, that the, like a favorite cartoon of all time, I think I have to go with the Batman animated series. Just because every time I will go back to that on occasion and I will rewatch episodes of that. And there are times where I will compare episodes, a half hour episode of that show to full length Batman movies. And I'll be sitting there going, this might be better than some of the movies. Like mm-hmm. Each of these half hour, half hour episodes, this is outstanding. Like, I, I love this. I love what they're doing here. I love the portrayal. I love this Batman character. Um, so that, I mean, I think once we get to that point, I think that's going to be, that might be favorite cartoon of all time. And I have argued that the, the and what we talked about with Roger Rabbit, how everything about the 30s and the 40s is just so much fun. Like all the costumes and the settings and the, you know, all of that stuff. I have said for, for years and years and years, I wish that if somebody, if somebody could just, if, if I had a, millions upon millions of dollars i would go hire um was it paul dini and bruce tim who made the batman animated series i would hire those guys to make me a rocketeer animated series in the exact same style because i think that would be outstanding that would be my favorite thing ever so if anybody out there has millions of dollars and wants to do something really nice for me you should probably give it to charity and give it to somebody else. But if you have like millions of dollars that you have to spend on John Reed, then mm-hmm. feel free to make me a Rocketeer animated series in that exact same style. Yeah. Oh man, now I want to stay home from school sick tomorrow. Right. Do you remember the Do you remember the cartoon where the kid would turn into the car? Yes, I don't remember what it was called. I don't either, but I just, and now I think back on it, I remember thinking about it, like, yeah, that was pretty cool, but now I'm like, a kid actually turned into a car? Uh, is it That's Turbo weird. Teen? Turbo Teen. Turbo Teen. Yeah. Uh, yep, Turbo Teen is an animated series about a teenager with the ability to transform into a sports car. It was Saturday morning on ABC. Uh, it was only 13 episodes from 84 to 85. Yeah, imagine that. Jason the Wheeled Warriors. Oh, yeah. I had a bunch of those toys, too. Yep. Oh, yeah, I had a bunch of them. And what was funny was in watching, you know, going back to our uh, last episode that we had uh, was when we talked about the, the anime. And in the American version of the Totoro movie, knowing that Totoro and Cat Bus were played by Frank Welker, I was like, that. well, that's just outstanding. 
that I can look at this and realize that Catbus is the exact same. Catbus is also Megatron. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm good with that. That that seems oddly appropriate. Oh, man. We're going to you know what? We're going to have to wrap it up because otherwise we're just going to oh. end up down this rabbit trail of <laughs> The Littles. Did you guys ever watch oh, The Littles? Oh, yeah. Did you ever read the books? No, but I remember watching it. I used to watch that one all the time. Yeah. And then there was the, the they had a, a full-length movie that When did that come out? I'm going to look that up. Mhm. Yeah, no, I remember that. I remember the Littles. Hmm. All right. Well, is there anything before we end up down this rabbit hole and we, you know, you no one ever sees us ever again because we're watching 80s cartoons and getting fired from yes. our jobs and, and all that stuff. Uh, is there anything else we want to say about, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about Roger Rabbit this time around. We've talked about kind of our, our favorites of like the mid to late eighties cartoons and kind of that, uh, that time where we're transitioning from Saturday morning cartoons to a little bit more of the afternoon, uh, afternoon stuff where things maybe got to be, I don't want to say they got to be a little bit more grown up, but, um, you know, you had a little bit more, they did have a little bit more grown-up humor because then you start getting into like the '90s with Animaniacs and <clears throat> you know even some of the stuff in Tiny Toons. You know, is there? There's the there's the humor there for the parents just as much as there is for the kids. So, is there anything else? What, anything else what, we want to say? About? I think that that's another great reason why Roger Rabbit worked as well as it did. Yes, is because it wasn't made for just one demographic. Yeah. It was Zemeckis, right? Didn't he direct mm-hmm. it? Yeah, he was the director. Okay. Yeah. Um Yeah, it was Zemeckis think, and, and then and then mm-hmm. I think like there was Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy and Steven Spielberg and I would say Spielberg I thought <clears throat> produced it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it just it, it works on on a bunch of levels. I tried showing the uh over winter break I tried showing it to some of the nephews and they were four and two mm-hmm. and they just wanted to watch that first five minutes over and over and over again <laughs> with yeah. the, uh, the, the cartoon uh-huh. that's being, that you later find out is being filmed. Yeah. Um, that's all they wanted out of it at that point. So yeah. they, they uh, didn't quite, care enough to watch the rest of the movie <laughs> unfortunately yeah when they're but a little bit someday older. when they're a little bit older all right well i think that's going to do it for our roger rabbit and cartoons of the late 80s 1988 late 80s uh time if you've got some other cartoons if you've got some that we did not uh, mention on here i'm sure there are some others that we didn't even think about you know it's probably sitting there in some cobweb in the back of our mind, but uh, if you've got one that was a favorite of yours that we didn't even mention, please feel free to get in touch with us. Um, you know, if you also love Roger Rabbit, or if you've got other things that you want to share with us about uh, who framed Roger Rabbit, please feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook or any of the other places. Uh, you can find all those different ways to get in touch with us on our website at 30podcast.com. Otherwise, next time, we are going to be taking a look at, to finish off our animation month of January, we're going to be taking a look at The Land Before Time and Oliver and Company. Um, so, um, I'm going to fire... I've never seen Oliver and Company all the way through. Really? 
And now it's yeah. it's I've seen it. I saw it a few times when I was a kid, and I have not seen it since then. So the, I know I've seen parts of it. Okay, for sure. Because the only thing, the only thing in my mind when I think of Oliver and Company, the only thing I can think of is a, a Billy Joel as a singing dog. And that's that's all I can remember. I can't remember anything else about the story. That's about right. Yeah. Well, what what more do you need? I don't need any more. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this time. Um, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Thank you guys for being here, Bo, Jeff, and Pat. Um, and uh, like I said, if we, uh, you know, if we missed anything, a favorite cartoon of yours, please get in touch with us. Let us know. Interact with us on Twitter. Uh, but thank you all for being here, and thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, we had this is kind of like a marathon recording session, so it's it's a little bit late, and uh, we've had a long weekend, and we. Apparently, we have to go back to work tomorrow. Not after this discussion, man. Okay. I just, I just put in my sick day. Excellent. I'm, uh, I'm gonna bring my DVDs of Thundercats with me, so while the kids are map testing, I'll just quietly watch episodes of Thundercats. I will sit very close next to you and share the headphones with you. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll bring popcorn. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, we have tomorrow planned. Um, So we will see you all back here next time. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. And we'll see you back here next time for Oliver Company and Land Before Time. Hey, believe me, it's no strain. It feels so great to contemplate and look, there is no pain. 